today on CityCast Salt Lake. Have the Utah Jazz been accidentally winning? And if so, what does that mean for the rest of this season? Plus, what about those rumors that the whole strategy this year was to lose every game? Salt Lake Tribune Jazz beat writer Andy Larson is always honest, so I'm asking him if it's wise to place bets on this team this season. Just so you know, we recorded this conversation before the Jazz racked up their first loss of the season, back when they were 3-0. But Andy says his analysis here still holds. Today's Wednesday, October 26th. 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Andy Larson, the Jazz were supposed to suck this season. (laughs) What happened? Look, it's early, right? So I don't think we can say definitively that they will not suck for the rest of the year, right? Like we have played (laughs) less than 5% of the games that are going to happen, right? So like let's, uh, we we should uh, caution that a little bit. But I think it's like a mix of sustainable things and some unsustainable things, right? Like they won two games in overtime, right? And if one possession goes differently in regulation in the two games that they played in overtime, then like they lose and they're one and two, right? Like it's kind of a small margin thing right now. But there are some things that are like that seem relatively sustainable. And that's that's fun, right? Like I think it is better that you know, it, it does drive conversation, obviously, and, and I it's it's more fun to cover the jazz certainly when when they're good and, and, and interesting. So yeah. There was talk of a strategy to lose games. I know you've you heard about this, of course. I'm pretty sure we all heard about it from you. Why was this a brief strategy and is it still the strategy? So the the strategy to lose games is based on the idea that in order to succeed at the highest levels at the NBA, in order to win an NBA championship, you need a top five player. You need a LeBron James. You need a Steph Curry. You need a a Michael Jordan, you know, Tim Duncan, whatever it is, right? And the way to get that good player is by drafting really high in the draft and ideally number one, frankly, Mm. because that's, you know, by and large where these good players really come from. Now, you know, there are obviously kind of examples where picks lower than that have been successful, but like the best players in the league, we can usually identify like by the time they're in college, right? So the idea there is because the NBA system means that they give the worst teams the best draft picks. If you are bad for a season, then you can go out and get one of those top five NBA players or a player that's most likely to be a top five NBA player. And then that can kind of set you up for success for the eight to nine seasons that you have team control over that player. Okay. And this draft in particular is like extremely, extremely strong. So at the number one pick, there's this guy named Victor Wembanyama. Mm-hmm. He's this 18-year-old French kid. He is seven foot four. <laughs> he can shoot like Kevin Durant. Uh, he is awesome. He is the coolest prospect that, uh, frankly, I have ever yeah. seen. And so like the idea of the Jazz getting this generational player that would play for the Jazz for the next eight seasons, you know, is is maybe worth the the short term pain of losing this season and and losing a lot of hmm. games. So, are we to assume then that they're winning by accident, or has the strategy shifted? <laughs> a little bit. They're winning by accident. No way. I mean, these players were not supposed to be this good. Um, 
Uh, and some of it is luck, you know. Some of it is so. For example, like in the first three games, the the opponent's three point shooting percentage was under thirty percent. That turns out to be like remarkably outlierly low, and is kind of a randomness mm. thing, right? Like the in, in a larger sample size, teams will probably start shooting better against the Jazz. Okay. But it, it also is like they kind of accidentally, in order to get the most from trading Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, they got a lot of like really good players back, mm. <laughs> and. It turns out that those players have been, you know, kind of came together quicker than expected. You know, usually cohesion and, and kind of stability is one way that teams kind of learn how to play together, right? Mm-hmm. And it seems like the new coaching staff has really gotten them to play together really well. They're kind of veteran guys who understand, you know, kind of the nuances, the, the quote-unquote little things of the game. And mm-hmm. so, like, they're they're just kind of getting these small advantages on on plays, whether that be, like, drawing fouls or just kind of knowing how to move on the floor and and make good decisions Mm -hmm. in a way that we didn't really expect. And so, like, yeah, this is... I would say that, yes, you know, they were trying to lose and they are have kind of won on accident. It's like the players are obviously trying to win games. The coaches are trying to win games, but the executives probably weren't trying to win games this year. And so, yeah, I, you know, it's it's kind of a, a three-level thing where different parts of the Jazz have different goals. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I don't want to, like, ever imply that any N- NBA player is egoless, but there was sort of, my understanding is there was, like, a bit of an ego clash between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. And with them gone, has it opened up space for a little bit more of hashtag team is everything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Like, I, that's definitely some of what's happened. I mean, look, like, in their second game, the, you know, the, the, their, their second win, they had 39 assists against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And that's more assists than they've had in a game since 2010. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, we are seeing, like, kind of historic levels of ball movement and sharing and just kind of popping the ball around the perimeter and and getting open shots that way. Now, like, Donovan-Rudy kind of offensive system worked. Like, the Jazz had the best offense in the NBA last season, but it was also just, like, kind of ugly at times Mm -hmm. and, frankly, kind of led to some stuff that maybe didn't work as well in the fourth quarter, which is why they lost all those leads. And, you know, and then, obviously, they got to the playoffs and and hugely disappointed. So, you know, maybe the the vibes of this situation are, like, legitimately better than the ones that that happened last year, which, you know, I, I can tell you kind of from first-hand experience covering the team where it was a slog you know I think it was the hardest team I've I've covered in you know my 10 seasons of doing this now it just felt exhausting I saw a tweet someone tweeted uh that this year's team feels like the kind of team that would have just absolutely obliterated last year's team on the court (laughs) I thought that was (laughs) pretty funny but yeah there's definitely a vibe shift and I think for the fans too like the energy is kind of there like even I'll tell you like Full transparency, lead producer Emily Means and I, we are hyped this season. (laughs) Like, we're texting each other during jazz games in a way that I think is normal for her, but, like, not normal for me. Yeah, and and that's what's fun about this. Like, I really do think sports happiness is basically, like, reality minus expectations, (laughs) right? And so expectations were could not have been more bottom of the barrel this Mm -hmm. year. And they were super high last year. And so, like, you know, if they had gone 3-0 and to start last season, there's no surprise, there's no intrigue, it's not one of the stories of the NBA. But because they're 3-0 and this season, when they were expected to go, you know, 0-82, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, this is a big story and is really fun and is really exciting. And like you guys said, I think is kind of capturing the imagination of a lot of jazz fans out there. What kind of influence is... 
you know, brand new coach Will Hardy having? Is it too early to tell if he's got the Midas touch? You know, I think he certainly deserves a ton of credit for what's happened Mm -hmm. so far. So, like I said, kind of getting the cohesion of the group right away this quickly after, you know, only a a month of training camp is is really, really impressive. Mm -hmm. I would say that some of this magic might be because no one kind of knew what to expect from Will Hardy and the Jazz, Mm -hmm. right? Like, not only was this a group of new players that had never played together before, but it's also a new coach who's never been a head coach before. And so, like, there was kind of no idea of what his system would be like. He was always very... Very uh, kind of secretive about that in in interviews, and other than he said he wanted his team to play hard, and so you know I think some of what the Jazz have done successfully over the first three games is like literally kind of tricking teams and and using some misdirection and and playing in a way that just teams didn't have like the scouting report for yeah. right, and, and so that being said, you know we'll see how the league reacts to it, but this successful so far is is really impressive, especially for a 34 year old coach who's the youngest coach in the NBA. Yeah, my favorite fact about him. So you mentioned there are a lot of fresh faces. Who's starting to stand out to you? Any rising stars? Number one is totally Laurie Markkinen. Okay. He's called the finisher. He is from <laughs> Finland. Okay. He is, you know, has kind of been an average NBA guy, was a lottery pick five years ago, but didn't really pop yet. He went to Arizona and actually almost attended the University of Utah to play basketball for them before he got a late offer from Arizona. He has been a three-level scorer, and we use that basically to mean that he's a guy who can score at the rim, in the mid-range, and at the three-point okay. line. And those guys in the NBA are super-duper rare. You know, we're, we're talking like the Kevin Durants, you know, Steph Curry, so on. You know, it, it's just hard to find a guy who's able to do all three things. But because Lowry is, is seven feet tall and can shoot from the outside, has shown kind of this mid-range turnaround game so far this season, he's been really, really effective. And, you know, way more than people thought, averaging 24 points a game on really good efficiency numbers too so he's kind of the number one guy that stands out but like yeah there are some other guys i think jordan clarkson's played really well he's passing the ball more than he ever has in Mm -hmm. his career which is which is awesome you know i think we're seeing some awesome stuff from walker kessler who was drafted number 22 last year was acquired in the rudy gobert trade and you know Guys who are drafted that late in the first round aren't usually expected to contribute right away. And he looks like a legitimate, really good NBA center right away from game one, which is awesome to see. So he's only 21 years old. Yeah, I mean, they're just kind of like a bunch of these guys that are obviously performing above kind of what we expected right now, which is why, you know, the Jazz have have won. Yeah. Okay. You you knew I was going to bring up the uniforms. I feel like you knew that. Yes. Of course, you wrote maybe one of the most scathing critiques of the yellow and the jazz sort of the rebrand, the most confusing rebrand maybe in history. Ryan Smith couldn't resist tweeting. Owner Ryan Smith couldn't resist tweeting that he thinks some of the teams he didn't use the word gumption, but I am. This season is because of the yellow. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, I feel like we've done the science experiment here. We have one game in purple, one game in white, and one game in yellow, and they won all three games, and so therefore it's probably not the yeah. yellow. But, right. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I will say this. The article I did critiquing the jerseys was the second most read thing I've written all all year for the Salt I believe Lake it. Tribune. And uh, that, I think, speaks to 
a level of agreeance in the uh, marketplace about those that that take. I mean, yeah. like it, they have been roundly nationally criticized by like nearly everyone. But you know, hey, if they win in them, then maybe they start to look better in the fans' eyes. I don't know. I mean, there was still kind of a lot of criticism in in that game, right. but I still don't feel like it fits the vibe of Utah. I still don't feel like it fits the culture of jazz basketball. But the powers that be don't care and are, you know, yeah, as you said, taking victory laps after jazz victories, which, hey, I guess that they're they're entitled yeah. to, right? As a persistent Met Gala viewer, it's always fun for me when sports <laughs> teams are arguing about uniforms because I'm like, oh, really? It matters. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's funny because like, have you, you you've heard the phrase like sports is just rooting for laundry? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, because they got 14 new players this season, like, I feel like that's never been more tested than this, mm-hmm. right? Like, you got a completely new team. Everyone you know and love is mostly gone. And now you really are just cheering for the local team. And also they have new uniforms. The, the laundry you cheered for is no longer here either. So anyway, I, I just think the quality of the laundry is part of the vibes for sure. Yeah, well, and if you're on that marketing team too, I feel like you're just so grateful that they're crushing it so far because that narrative is better than, oh, they're losing and they're losing in these jerseys that we hate. <laughs> Andy Larson, thank you so much. I feel like every time you come on the show, we're like, Andy, what is happening? (laughs) I feel like in six (laughs) weeks, we could call you again and be like, all right, Andy, what's happening now? Might happen. Yeah, I'm happy to be your ongoing jazz correspondent. Thank you. Here's a little more sports news before we go. Salt Lake is very thirsty to host the Winter Olympics again. The case for the Olympics goes like this. We already have the facilities. It would be fun. We are good at winter sports. It could lead to better infrastructure and something about the economy. The case against? Well, lately it feels like I'm alone in this, but seems like it's going to displace a lot of people cost a lot of our money, require water we don't have to make snow we don't have, and turn Salt Lake into an even bigger traffic jam. Either way, the city wants to hear from you. They're hosting a listening tour for residents who have feels about the games. Now, I'm not going to lie. The city and state are already in this thing. But if you have ideas for what you would want the Olympics to look like if Salt Lake wins the bid, you should go and get in the mix. The in-person listening session is today, Wednesday, October 26th at 2.30 p.m. You can RSVP and get directions at the link I put in the show notes. That's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Bye. Where do they hang out? Uh, <laughs> honestly, don't know where this group of players hangs out. It's a problem. Like last year's players, I could have told you, you know, like one or two local spots. But th- again, this year's team is so know that, new that I haven't seen them around town yet. So it doesn't feel like they're Salt Lakers yet. Once we're seeing them at like the yeah. the target on third, I feel like then they'll feel like Salt Lakers. But they don't feel like Salt Lakers yet. I can confirm there have been, there was one player spotted at the target on third. No no way. There really, really was. (laughs) Oh my God.